Hi, Victoria. How are you? Hi, Good Brian. Good morning. How are Very you? well, thank you. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. Thank you. Hi, young kids. Nice to see you here. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Hello, everybody. How was your day? Everything good, everyone? Very well, thank you, Katarina. Yourself? Good, good, thanks. I'm really excited about this, um, especially based on the discussion uh, Serena and I had yesterday. <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to this talk. So. Katarina? Yes. Somebody else is on stage with us. Oh, this? Are they? I just see the three of us, right? Okay. Now. I only see the two of us. Maybe I better okay. leave and come back. That's really scary. I, I, I heard that a bunch of people are having these issues with the new update here. So you're not the only one. Unless. It's a new invisibility cloak feature that we haven't gotten yet. Okay, I'm gonna leave and come back. I'm just seeing three, yeah. And that was a really good uh, room last night. That was really uh, fascinating. I'm gonna listen to the replay of that Katarina, talking to Serena about that. And, and Keith is here, the first author of the paper that we discussed yesterday. He's in the, he's in the audience. So, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining everybody at the Science Society and we're probably going to be starting in a few minutes when the guest speaker arrives. So everybody get comfy and get ready for a fantastic time. Jamie, make it sound like there's going to be popcorn. <laughs> yeah, with that, with Science Society on the box. <laughs> But don't turn off your phones, though. <laughs> yeah, but this is the good thing about not having a video, right? You can just relax and, uh, you know, I think it's more relaxing to not have a video on. Absolutely. You can let your hair down metaphorically and literally. So tonight we don't have a room planned, but I'm open for discussions if anyone wants to have like just a general discussion room. Uh, we can we can certainly open it up or update ourselves on what's being what's have been published this week out there. So You know me, Katrina, I'm always up for a good chat about everything that's happening. So I'm in, if anyone else wants to. Hi, Eric. Hello. I just wanted to uh, mention about dogs. Like, it's completely obvious they get jealous, right? 
Like that is envy. You know, is definitely an emotion dogs have. And I read that they get like for them it's very stressful to have this emotional pressure to uh, be a good dog. Uh, I think. Oh, hi, uh, Doctor Kunguo. Thank you for coming. Welcome. Uh, I see you on mute, but I cannot hear you. So. Um, Maybe it's the headphones um, or some headphones are making issues with the clubhouse. You might try leaving and coming back. That's another fix. Um, just using speakerphone or leaving and coming back. Or sometimes it's the web. I, if it's a public Wi-Fi that blocks social media usage, uh, that can also be an issue sometimes. Welcome to audio tech support in Clubhouse. We're happy to serve you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, friends. Lauren Prasad, F. Ankit, Brian, Kun, Eric, Jamie, Marina. Uh, oh, here's some sounds. Here's some background noise, but not the mic. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, perfect. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, I'm switching to my PC, so hopefully a big screen. Excellent, welcome. Okay, um, yeah, it's like two minutes left. Uh, let's wait another couple minutes to give people time to arrive. We scheduled it at 1 p.m. EST. And uh, in the meantime, Kun, did you have a good day? For you, it's already evening. So I hope you had a, a good day today. <laughs> yeah, Friday is always good. good. But unfortunately, a Friday and normally it's my meeting day. So we have endless meetings. Kun, what part of the world are you in now? Uh, me? Yeah. Yes. I'm in UK. Uh, okay, so, so it's a, six. It's a city called uh, Lincoln. Mm -hmm. So you're coming on evening. Yeah, it's yes. five hours, right? It's five hours. Well, so we are approaching six o'clock. Right. Yeah. Well, unless you're on the West Coast. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, then good evening. Good evening. <laughs> Victoria is on the West Coast. So for us, three hours more. So it's eight hours difference. Here, right? America's too big. Far too big. So, Ken, I have a question. Do you have dogs? 
Uh, I used to. Okay, that's. Uh, yeah. And yeah. So when I was young, uh, my parents and uh, we had uh, cats, dogs, uh, guinea pigs, rats, and uh, rats. But uh, uh, I moved to UK and I got married. So unfortunately, uh, my wife she's allergic to hair. Yeah. Oh, don't, uh, yeah, don't keep a pet at home. What about the? Oh, it's hair, not fur. So you can't even get the, the not fur dogs like the poodle or. Uh, it's the hair. Could yeah, but it's uh, kind yeah. of risky. Uh, uh -huh. uh, Why well, try? Yeah. Because we have a yeah, we have a big uh, group in the university. So during the daytime, so if I if I want, so I can play with the dog uh, for many many hours. <laughs> right. So you can still find uh, dogs. <laughs> well, that's interesting that you had rats. That's that's unusual. I have in my family and. I find that rats are such, they're really great um, companions. They're like small dogs and it's astounding that they live such short lives because they're so responsive and affectionate and and really sweet and fun and adorable. Yeah, and they are always uh, energetic, yeah. So you can always watch them to play around. Okay, I think we can start. Um, hey, Wisdom, welcome. Welcome to the stage. How are you today? Hi, Frank. Uh, thank Hello. you. Glad to see so many of our friends here. Thank you. Okay, let welcome everyone to the Science Society here today. And um, we are have, very happy to introduce you to our guest speaker here, Dr. Uh, Professor Kun Guo. And let me give you a little bit about uh, some information about him. He's a professor of cognitive neuroscience, School of Psychology, um, College of Social Science in the University of Lincoln in the UK. And um, he received his bachelor <clears throat> in human psychology from the Nanjing University. And he did his PhD in cognitive neuroscience the um from the chinese academy of neurosciences and before he came to lincoln he worked as a mcdonald pu uh, research fellow in the university a laboratory of physiology at the university of oxford and he uh, was a research associate in the department of psychology at the university of newcastle and his main um, research focus is in cognitive neuroscience of vision, social interaction, emotion, human-animal interaction. And he received several awards um, uh, throughout his career. And um, yeah, it's a really great honor to have you here today. Uh, and if it's okay, Victoria will ask you first a couple of general questions and then the stage is yours uh, to go go over your presentation. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Katarina. So Kun, welcome. Science Society is so glad to welcome you here today and we appreciate all the time that you are about to spend with us and hope you have a good time too. I'm interested in learning about how people find their 
way to science. And so I, my question to you is, can you, if you reflect on your life, even your childhood, can you think of a time that you recognized that you felt a spark of interest in science and you were really drawn to the sciences? Right. It's a very interesting question. Uh, right. I have to think hard to go back to my youth. Uh, yeah, I guess probably. Uh, well, uh, I don't know if it's just yeah. me, but Professor, you're very, very quiet. Is everybody else hearing like very, very quiet? No. I'm very quiet. Yeah, I try to um, move my microphone to my mouth. So how about now? That's better. Yes, your volume was a bit low. Thank you, Jamie. It was a little. Yeah. I'll try to increase my. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think I started. I started to get interested in science when I was in secondary school, probably around 13, 14 years old. Uh, so what I found at that time is uh, uh, the science subjects like uh, physics, chemistry, biology. Uh, they are easier for me to follow uh, because you can find some kind of regular pattern in the subjects. So unlike uh, more humanity-based subjects, uh, which is more, need more creativity. So for science, uh, so basically I spend less time uh, to get a high grade, so which leaves me more time to play games. Yeah, I guess this is why I was interested in science subjects while I was in the middle school. Thank you, that's fascinating. And it speaks to how important it is for each of us to find their path and to be able to follow what truly interests each of us. And, and so my next question is, how can you please describe the path that led you to your current research? Right. Okay, that's a great question. Uh, so I think uh, my I have a my group has a broad range of research uh, topics. And uh, human dog interaction, I guess, is my personal interest, uh, based on two reasons. So one is the curiosity. Uh, so like I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I used to have uh, many pets at home, and. Uh, I was also curious, so when you play with your pets, so what do your pets think, think about you? So from their perspective, in your eye, who are you, what are you doing? So that's a question that also interests me. So that's from a personal interest of curiosity. Uh, another reason for me to get into human dog interaction is because of my background. So my training is uh, called neuroscience. So we are interested in uh, how human brain works. And uh, our end goal is to find uh, some sort of uh, intervention uh, to help people with different brain damage or brain problems. Um, by doing so, you really need uh, some kind of animal models uh, to mimic uh, human problems. For me, I think, uh, if you compare with other species, uh, dogs probably are very rare species, probably the only one, uh, which fully share human environment, our family environment, and uh, especially our social environment. 
So from this perspective, if you think about uh, human uh, social problems, like a neurodevelopmental disorder such as autism, uh, for adults like uh, anxiety disorder, depression, so this kind of uh, mental health related um, neurological disorder, disorders, uh, dogs probably can better uh, represent uh, human mental health issues. So uh, from a scientific perspective, I think uh, yeah, dogs will provide us a unique window to understand more about uh, human social related um, uh, brain disorder. So I guess that's the two reasons for me uh, to get into this kind of a human dog interaction research. Right, and the affinity is strong. And, and uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. At this point, um, you're welcome to begin your discussion of your work. And if you'd like to uh, carry out your discussion and then at the end have a question and answer, that's our usual format. Some guests prefer to have questions along the way as they're delivering their talk. So that's entirely up to you. And so you can choose what you like and um, please begin your discussion. And thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity uh, to share my research uh, with you guys. Uh, so in terms of the format, uh, I think I'm going to uh, discuss my recent work on human dog interaction uh, for about uh, 15, 20 minutes. That, yeah, I'm happy to answer whatever questions you want to ask. Um, but because uh, I don't know uh, whether what kind of details I've approached. So uh, if I use the terminology, if you kind of follow my story, yeah, feel free to uh, interrupt me. I'm happy um, to answer your questions along the way. Yeah, so I'm flexible. Thank you very much. And if I may just interject, uh, when we do bring friends up that when you have a question or even now that you please flash your mics so that we can um, then pass the mic to you just so that um, it doesn't become a um, free for all. So thank you. And then we can be fair and make sure everyone's voice is heard. So thank you so much. And off you go, Kun. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so uh, the topic I want to discuss with you uh, is a can, dog, can dogs read a human emotions? Uh, before I start to talk about my, my own research, uh, so a little bit of background. So I try to convince you why this topic is interesting and is important for, for humans. Uh, so perhaps, yeah, we all have noticed, especially uh, for the last few years, uh, we have uh, huge increased number of dogs in our society. So in the UK alone, uh, at the moment, we have around uh, 12.5 million uh, dogs uh, in the UK. And uh, they serve uh, multifunctional societal roles, uh, such as pets, uh, protection dogs, searching dogs, assistant dogs. And uh, especially for the last 10 years, uh, perhaps you have also noticed, uh, dogs are increasingly introduced as uh, therapy dogs. Uh, 
in our school settings, hospital settings, and care home settings. And so, from this perspective, uh, we can argue and dogs have a great uh, social and ecological value uh, to our society. And the numerous research have reported uh, they can provide a significant benefit uh, to human development, uh, for human development, and also to our uh, physical and mental health. And because we have so many dogs in our society and they play important roles, then you can argue and to ensure we have a good relations or good interactions uh, between human and dogs and the high levels of dog welfare. So ideally, uh, we should understand each other's emotional state. We understand dogs and vice versa, and dog can understand ours. So before we talk about how dogs understand the human emotion, so if we think from our own perspective, so how we understand as a human, how we understand uh, each other's emotional sentiments. Okay? So we know we are really good at uh, reading each other's uh, emotional expressions, especially uh, from the face. Uh, because this communication is so important uh, for our social interaction, uh, for our survival sometimes. So human, we have developed a specific cognitive strategy and we have dedicated the neural circuits in our brain and in processing human emotional cues. Okay. So my question is, uh, can we find a similar mechanism across mammals? So this idea is very attractive. So I'm sure we can all appreciate if we can understand animals' emotion and animals can understand ours. So maybe we can make our world more interesting. So this idea actually uh, was originally proposed by Darwin. So he argued, and uh, because you can find many evolutionary origin in human in human emotional behavior, and also in the way we move our facial muscles, we control the muscle movement in our face, and in our brain to process emotional cues. So maybe this homology in emotional behavior in the way we control the facial muscles and can, 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 can across other mammals. So as a result, maybe uh, animals, especially uh, social animals like dogs, can use more or less the same strategy to understand human emotion. So that's a very interesting proposal. And across all the animal species, that's one unique thing about dog is a co-evolution. Okay. So our recent evidence, genetic analysis, uh, suggests that maybe uh, dogs, they are probably the first uh, domesticated uh, around 23,000 years ago. So through this long history of interaction with humans, so surely maybe dog can develop some way to understand humans. And humans maybe can also develop certain ways to understand the dogs. Okay. So that's the uh, co-evolution idea. And uh, there's another factor 
may contribute to the, 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 the this, uh, human dog, uh, dog understanding is uh, selective breeding. Uh, selective breeding perhaps is not very, 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 how can I put it in a nice way? Uh, so we are very humane way uh, to, 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 to use a dog as a pet. But uh, uh, since Victoria time, probably 200 years ago, 180, 200 years ago, humans start to breed dogs selectively according to certain traits. So as, as a result, you add another level of uh, pressure uh, to dogs' ability to understand humans. So bottom line is uh, this different pressure or different factors uh, may encourage dog to develop some strategy to understand the human. So that's why um, we use a dog as a model to study human animal emotional understanding. So we can argue uh, theoretically, yes, so animals, especially dogs, uh, should be able to understand uh, human emotion. The question is, uh, how are we going to test it? Uh, the, straightforward, the straightforward idea is uh, we can ask owners. So we can ask owners uh, how many dog emotions you can detect. And from your perspective, uh, how many emotions uh, your dog can detect from you. So we can do this kind of uh, simple study. But the issue is uh, owners report they are biased. So which means uh, how reliable the data probably uh, is a question, is questionable. Sorry, uh, if so I may, uh, I, I just have, I'm having a hard time hearing you. I don't know if it's uh, perhaps you're wearing a headset or just uh, moving away uh, from the microphone, but is there any way that you could uh, speak a little louder? Okay, uh, yeah. Let me check my uh, volume. Uh, so 100%. So how about now? I put a mic very close to my mouth. Yeah, that's a little better. Uh, but in general, the app just doesn't work that well with headsets. Okay, yeah. Um, so I'll speak directly to the microphone in my computer. Thank you very much, Kun. Yeah, but sometimes uh, they make come echo. Ooh. So how about now? Yeah. Oh yeah, much better. Yeah, we hear the oh, echo, yeah. but maybe it's it's um, it's a chance we'll take, so we can hear you louder. Thank you so much. Okay. Right. Yeah. So uh, we have to find uh, some objective way and uh, to test dog's ability to understand uh, human emotion. And uh, there are quite a few research in the past focusing on this topic. Uh, they tend to use, uh, we call it associative learning to test the idea of a dog's ability to understand human emotion. Uh, the typical example is uh, uh, to use a touch screen. So if you train the dog to learn some kind of association between happy eye and a happy mouth, so dogs understand uh, happy eyes looks like this, Happy mouth looks like this. So once dogs can learn this kind of association, you present a happy eyes. Then you put a few mouths together. 
dogs will go touch the happy mouse. So from this perspective, you can argue, in dogs' mind, they know what a happy face looks like. So that's a happy eyes and happy mouth. So that's uh, one common protocol people use to test uh, dog's ability to understand uh, human emotion. The issue for me is uh, this kind of approach, you'll need first extensive training. Now training in animals can cause a bigger problem. So what are you training for? So that's a problem for me. So in this particular case, it's very likely dogs can learn to discriminate certain features. That's a happy eyes, that's angry eyes, that's a happy mouth, that's angry mouth. But they don't necessarily know what happy means or what angry means. So if you use a training approach, so maybe you want to test dog's ability to understand emotion. But at the end of the day, you're testing dog's ability to discriminate uh, different uh, facial features. So that's a, a problem for, for training. So what we hope is to find some kind of protocol uh, to measure a spontaneous behavior from dogs without any training. And also we want to measure ability of categorization rather than the visual discrimination. The dogs can categorize the happy, angry, disgust, rather than dis differentiate between happy face and angry face. So that's our uh, 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 hope. So to find a suitable protocol, uh, we looked at uh, human infant studies. So in humans, we have this kind of, uh, we call it a cross-model sensory integration. So we can combine our visual inputs with our auditory inputs to understand the meaning of the word. Okay. So this kind of uh, cross-model sensory integration and typically will provide a faster, uh, more reliable and a more accurate uh, recognition. So in emotional research, so if I give you this example, so for instance, you hear a happy sound, and you look around, so most likely you are focused on the happy face, try to find who is laughing. Okay. So you can match happy sound with a happy face. So that's a typical example of a cross-model sensory integration. So to do this, we must have some kind of template in our mind to understand the meaning, so what is a happy sound, what is a happy face, and what is the relation between happy mouth, between happy face and a happy sound. So you have this kind of internal representation of different emotion categories. So we think, ah, perhaps we can use this uh, cross-model integration uh, to test uh, our idea about a dog's ability to understand human emotion. And so I put a video clip uh, in my slides, so probably you can take a look uh, when you have time. But I can describe uh, the setup. So what we did is uh, we put a uh, two face side by side. So one is a happy face, one is an angry face side by side. 
So at the same time, uh, we deliver a sound, a vocalization. So could it be a happy sound? Could it be an angry sound? Or could it be some random noise? Okay. So what we want is uh, to measure dog's looking behavior. So imagine uh, from your perspective, so if we have uh, two faces in front of us, one's a happy face, one's an angry face. At the same time, we hear a happy sound, people laughing. So automatically, we will direct our attention to the happy face. We try to find out who is laughing. So that's uh, human behavior. So we try to see whether we can find a similar behavior uh, in dogs. So we used a human face and a happy face. And to avoid the training, so we used a familiar human face and a familiar dog face. And also to control any possible training experience. So we ask people to speak in a different language. And so fortunately, uh, the student did this study, uh, she's from Brazil, so she can speak Portuguese. So she uh, called dogs to come on in Portuguese in either happy sound or upset sound. And we are testing uh, British dogs recruited from, from Lincoln. So hopefully these dogs they don't have much experience to hear Portuguese at Lincoln. So through this kind of protocol, we found dogs tend to look at the face with the expression can match the vocalization. So if dogs hear the happy human sound, the dogs were more likely to look at the happy human face. If dogs hear happy dog sound, more likely dog will look at happy dog face. So we found this kind of behavioral tendency, more or less like a human infants. So as a result, uh, also we found uh, there's no preference uh, to, 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 to uh, different... Uh, uh, so th in other words, this tendency is not affected by the face species, either human face or dog face, or by the valence, happy face, angry face, or by the gender, male face, female face, or by the location of the face, left or right. So there's all the control experiments. So as a result, we can be more confident to say uh, dogs can really match happy face with a happy sound, or angry face with an angry sound. Okay. So to do so, most likely, they have some kind of mental representation about the different emotion category. So that's our uh, basic finding from that experiment. So we argue uh, as a species, uh, dogs, they process at least some mental prototypes uh, for emotional categorization, such as the positive and negative balance. That's our conclusion. Then the last question is, uh, if dogs can understand human emotion, so how they, what kind of strategy you use? So that's our next question. So again, uh, before testing dogs, we start to think about how human understand uh, human facial expression. 
So we know if you imagine yourself, okay? So when we try to display different uh, expressions, happy, angry, uh, disgust, fearful, we tend to move our facial muscles in a certain way, in a certain configuration. So as a result, our different uh, facial features, eyes, nose, and mouth, they can be more representative, representative for certain emotion. So for instance, if you want to look for a happy face, perhaps you will concentrate on the mouth. If you look for an angry face, perhaps you will concentrate on the eyes. Just through our experience, we know that's the most useful region for us to detect uh, other people's uh, facial expression. So that's uh, how we read each other's uh, facial expression. So our question is, uh, do dogs use more or less the same strategy to read human facial expression? So in one experiment, uh, we present uh, video clips of different human and dog facial expressions happy, angry, fearful, and so on, and monitor human and dog's eye movement. So we can understand which part of face they tend to focus on when they look at happy emotion, angry emotion. So again, I put a clip in my slides. So if you can access the slides, so you will notice on the screen, so you have one side is a human, Look at the human face. Other side is a dog. Look at the same face. Okay, and each dot on the screen represent a gaze point or fixation from either humans or dogs. So hopefully, uh, you will notice uh, dogs they tend to use a different strategy to look at a human or dog facial expressions. And we did many detailed analysis, uh, and we, we can conclude there's no human-like uh, face reading strategy in dogs. Okay. Now the next question is, uh, if dogs use a different strategy to look at a human facial expression, look at a human emotion, then what kind of cues do they use? So in a different experiment, we present the whole body to both uh, humans and the dogs. So again, if you can see the slides, uh, you'll notice uh, on one side is how humans look at human emotion, on other side is how dogs look at the same emotion. And each dog represents one fixation from one dog. So hopefully uh, you can get this impression so when humans and dogs look at the same emotional cues, humans tend to look at the face a lot, but dogs, they tend to look at bodies a lot. Okay. So again, we did many detailed analysis afterwards, and we can conclude that dogs, they use bodily cues more often than humans to pick up human and dog emotion. So through similar research uh, from my group, uh, I think we can reach uh, this conclusion. So if you compare dogs and humans' ability to understand each other, so we can say uh, 
they are qualitatively similar between dogs and humans, but with marked, with very clear and quantitative difference. And the sensitivity to read emotional expressions between humans and dogs, and they are species and are context dependent. And we do have some kind of inlet and experience driven strategy to do that. Um, the bottom line is uh, I would argue uh, we can't understand between humans and dogs, it's unlikely we will understand each other's emotion and automatically. So what we need is some kind of a social learning strategy and to better understand each other's emotion. So it's not an inner behavior, it's more like learned or trained behavior through human-dog interaction. Okay. So that's my story so far. So thanks for your interest. Yeah, thank you so much for this wonderful presentation. It's such an interesting work and it's amazing how dogs co-adapt with us. Um, yeah, please go ahead, everyone, with questions. Flash your microphone if you have questions. Serena, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating topic. And, you know, to try and analyze, you know, how that works. And I'm curious, have you looked at whether... Um, there's a regional correspondence in fMRIs uh, between the dogs and, and humans in, in these types of activities. I'm aware that um, fMRIs interpreting those signals, you know, maybe more indirect in inferring, you know, neural firing patterns, but um, it, it may be a more of an indication in astrocyte activity. So I'm Curious, uh, what kinds of correspondences that might be there? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it's something we are aiming to do, uh, but we are more from human's perspective. Uh, the issue is uh, for humans, we know exactly uh, the different neural circuits, the function, the connection for different neural circuits. For the face perception, uh, so perhaps, uh, so in case you know that we, we call it a core system and the extended system, we know the connection, we know the individual loads uh, for individual brain regions. So as a result, we can find some kind of correspondence. Uh, one human try to understand human emotion and a dog emotion. So we can compare differences and similarity. So that's uh, uh, our current work. It will be extremely interesting if we can do the similar things on dogs, but we do have a, a huge challenge in front of us. The first is training. So what can you do um, to enable dogs can lie still in the scanner uh, for a few minutes? And that's a big challenge uh, for us. So at the moment, there are two groups are working on this. Uh, and because it's very difficult to, 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 to control the mobility, uh, as a result, uh, you don't have many, uh, many good signals uh, from dog's brain. And so that's uh, the first challenge, the practicality. Another challenge is uh, brain mapping. 
So that's another big challenge for, for us. So for humans, we know the brand structure. We know the, the organization. We even know majority of the uh, brand areas function. But we know very little about the docs. So roughly, you know the parietal, temporal, the big regions, hospital cortex. But for the which part of area is involved in the face perception, which, what area is involved in uh, emotion perception? So what's the link between the face perception and the emotion area in dogs? We have no idea about this. So we don't even understand the basic in dogs' brain structure and the potential neural mechanism. And so that, that's uh, uh, another big challenge uh, in front of us. And I think technically it's doable, um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure yeah, uh, we can understand if we want to do this, there are many ethical issues in front of us. Yeah. So how many invasive approach you can you use? How long you can keep a dog in the scanner without affecting their welfare? Yeah. But it's a good question. Unfortunately, yeah, we can't give you more direct answer about this from a dog's perspective. Yeah, no, thank you. I Yeah, um, it, it would be extremely challenging to do those experiments, but mm -hmm. um, it might be very insightful in terms of even mapping the dog mind if patterns exactly. were yeah. emerged. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this is something uh, perhaps uh, uh, we will focus on in the next few years. Uh, but first we have to convince uh, the funding agencies or provide a fund for, for us. Yeah. Um, there's many issues around animal welfare and uh, it's a, a, a ethics. Yeah. So hopefully we can uh, come around about this. Yeah. I, would, I would argue um, even for dog's welfare, if you want to understand the dog's cognition behavior, surely at, at some stage, you have to understand the neural mechanism. Yeah. To understand the neural mechanism, you have to use uh, certain techniques such as FMI or EEG. I would uh, also have a question. Uh, um, uh, what, what would be the uh, limitations uh, if we uh, would transfer this model to, let's say, cats? Sorry, I lost you. Yeah, my, my question is, what would be the limitations if we would transfer this model uh, to cats? Right. Uh, technically, I don't think there's any limitation. Uh, you can simply adopt the similar protocol uh, to test uh, cat's behavior. Yeah. Um, but the challenge is more or less the same. So first, uh, we know very little about the neural mechanism and the brain structure in cats. So actually, we know more about cats than dog, dogs, because uh, cats uh, in the past, cats uh, they are typically used in the visual neural science. So we know a lot about uh, visual cortex in cats. Yeah. So that's the advantage. Uh, the disadvantage, disadvantage is uh, compared with the dog behavior we know very little about cat's behavior. Yeah. 
So my answer would be uh, in terms of the testing, in terms of a protocol, uh, you can easily transfer the dog model to cats. But in terms of interpretation, uh, you will meet another set of challenge. So how can you interpret the findings from behavioral studies without much evidence from a neural mechanism? Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you. Please go ahead with questions. Um, Visam, Denise, Eric, Jamie, Hector, Ankit, please go ahead. Um, nobody seems to have a question right now. So, um, what are the future steps um, of your study that you would like to do next? Um, are you planning on doing, um, yeah, yeah, first I'll start with that and then I'll follow up my next question. Sorry, you're asking me uh, our next step? Uh, the next steps, yeah, what, what, do, what do you plan on doing next um, or probably you already have? Right have done more work <laughs> so yeah we we, we, uh, we have uh, quite a few projects and ongoing project projects yeah uh, from a human's perspective uh, we have a few projects and try to understand any similarity and a difference in humans to understand human and dog emotion from cognitive strategy and to neural process. That's from a human perspective. Uh, from dog perspective, uh, currently uh, we try to understand can dog dogs we know dogs can 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 differentiate and sometimes understand uh, certain human emotions. Um, but we still don't know how fine this understanding is. It's based on the balance, positive, negative, or based on the detailed emotional category. So that's something we are working on. And also, uh, another thing we are working on is uh, how dogs use this kind of understanding to guide their own behavior. So if you to understand different human emotions and the consequence, so how do you make use of this understanding? to change, to guide, or to change your own behavior. So that's our um, dog projects. So hopefully, that, hopefully, uh, yeah, that's you know, some interesting findings. Yeah, um, we read, there came a paper out last week, or this week, that when humans um, look into each other's eyes, they found um, similar um, oscillation patterns in the humans. Um, are you um, are you planning on testing something like this, maybe through EEG? Um, uh, yep. We did one study. Uh, well, well, yeah. First of all, we're not doing this. This is a brand-to-brand -brand synchronization. Uh, 
we, we, we're not doing this. But we did one study very similar in the past. And because uh, the idea is uh, therapy dogs. People argue, uh, as a human, we can enjoy many benefits uh, to keep a dog or to introduce a dog and to, to schools and to a care home, to hospital. Um, but you can imagine there are lots of difficulties and to, 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 to make this uh, practice popular or more common in our society. So the question is, uh, uh, can we use either robotic dogs or video clips to achieve similar benefit? The people look at the eyes of dogs, real dogs, and the eyes of robotic dogs, the eyes of dogs with clips. As a result, can you introduce more or less similar oxytocin in your bloodstream or pro-social behavior? Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah, uh, we didn't find any positive association. Yeah, it looks like uh, you do need uh, some kind of a physical social interaction. That yeah, thank you. Oh, go ahead, Jamie. Okay. No, thank you for the talk. That's absolutely fascinating. It's it's quite an exciting idea. Are are you hoping then, um, like you said, that perhaps understanding how they're seeing us, um, we can develop methods then that can communicate more powerfully and increasing the maybe the bond, maybe even being able to I don't know teach them more than they could have done by themselves or something like that yeah yeah uh, that's a very good suggestion uh, so the, 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 the impact is that if we can't understand the dog's ability to understand the human emotion perhaps uh, we can change a lot of our current practice especially in dog's training so one thing probably uh, I didn't mention is uh, in addition to the popular pets, at least in the UK, there are quite a few uh, training centers um, in, in, in the police force and in the ministry. So people train a lot of dogs for various uh, security, military uh, reasons. And some of the training protocol um, perhaps uh, can be improved. So uh, if let's say uh, we know the dog's capability to understand human emotion, then maybe we can increase uh, efficiency between human dog communication. So as a result, uh, probably all the training uh, can be more and more, more effective. And also you can increase the welfare of this group of dogs. That actually sounds quite exciting. Um, and I'm, I'm also wondering if we had that, you know, if we could teach them habits they didn't know before. Do you know how, like, um, mm. like where to go to the toilet much faster or right. things like that? Um, I, I'm wondering, I, I'm sorry to branch away from the dog for a second, but you mentioned in that I've heard about how intelligent dolphins are. Mm. Um, would it be curious for you to do this kind of example with dolphins because they're supposed to be incredibly intelligent and 
maybe communication uh, validation of the, the theory would work faster on them or I, I don't know sorry I, I, yeah I'm just just guessing yeah that's great yeah I would love to do that yeah <laughs> if we I can access dolphins and uh, get funding for, for, for it yeah yeah uh, I think yeah uh, if I have to guess I would think um, most of the social animals will show similar capability to understand human emotion yeah at least uh, to understand violence positive reacting uh, so far, since our publication, uh, probably five, five, six years ago, so far people have used a similar protocol uh, to test uh, ships, horses, cows. Uh, I don't think anybody has tried a dolphin, but cats they have tried, yeah, and the pandas. So they have tried a range of animals, and they found more or less the same thing. So these social animals, at least, they can understand uh, human emotional balance. Wow, that's amazing. And when you were doing this study as well, um, did you try it on uh, different breeds of dogs? Like, does a, does a St. Bernard have the same mm. ability as mm. like a Chihuahua? <laughs> mm. uh, we haven't, yeah, we, have, we, have, we haven't tried on different breeds. Uh, again, it's a great question. Uh, we, we, we did a get ground to do this last year, not last year, and uh, 2020, two years ago. Yeah, but we didn't carry this study because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, the key thing is, uh, so if you think about the physical structure, uh, different breeds, they do have different uh, physical structure. So if we use a nose lens as one example, so typically a long nose dogs, they have a narrow binocular visual field. Okay, so they are less good at detect depth. And also their retina is more different from human. They have a, a visual streak instead of the fovea, human-like fovea. So as a result, physically, this group of dogs, long-nosed dogs, uh, they are a lot of built to interact with human, to see all the details, human face, human hair style. Uh, so maybe compared with the short-nosed dogs, long-nosed dogs, they are less likely to differentiate uh, human, different human emotions, or less good to differentiate and uh, human emotions. So yeah, theoretically, uh, I would think, yeah, you will find very clear and uh, difference in breeds. Yeah. Sorry, I think I missed it. Which breed were you working with? Uh, we use a range of breeds, yeah. We don't specify for breeds. We just test uh, whatever dog we can get our hands on. Thank you. I want to welcome um, Jessica and Dr. Yang and Dr. Mariam to the stage. And if anyone has a question, would you please flash your mics? I think Ankit, um, he, he unmiked. Mm. Go, Go ahead, Ankit. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, a great talk. I was wondering if 
dogs recognize themselves uh, how is their emotional uh, anticipation to their own image uh, does that make sense i'm sorry right <laughs> uh, the short answer is i don't know yeah uh, so this kind of study typically they use a mirror set, set, set up so basically uh, you put uh, dogs or other animals in front of the mirror and try to stick something uh, on your face so if dogs or other animals can understand the image in the mirror is from me uh, they will touch whatever you put on your face so which will, 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 will tell you they have a self-awareness or human-like theory of mind. Yeah. Uh, so that's a typical setup. Set uh, um, I know many people have tried, uh, but so far we don't have a consistent uh, conclusion about how likely dogs can have a human-like theory of mind or self-awareness. Um, but my personal feeling is, uh, if you design your experiments carefully, my personal feeling is uh, you can observe uh, similar things uh, in dogs. So very likely they will have a, a human-like, a very crude human-like uh, theory of mind in them. Okay. To, to follow up on that, uh, uh, how about, for example, dogs, uh, or in this case, uh, any animal, perhaps, uh, they are responding to humans or their other dogs uh, because they are obviously have been, you know, uh, used to the species in the sense that they, in from your data, you show that uh, dogs look at other dogs' ears more than they do for humans, knowing that they, you know, differentiate among the species, essentially. How about and I, I'm not sure there has been a study on it, but in your view, how would a dog view to a species, let's say they have not come across? For example, in a hypothetical experiment, if a mm. dog is, has never been exposed to a cat, but is now exposed to a cat, what is its first default ways of expression, uh, essentially? He has not trained, he or she has not trained uh, its mind yet, but what would be the first default way to go about it? Great idea, great idea. Uh, I don't know, I don't know the answer. Uh, but you will find analogy in humans. So, so you, if I extend your question a bit, so your question is about whether we have a, dogs have some kind of innate template uh, yes. about the face and about the emotion. Uh, yes. Yeah. That, for example, uh, 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 and this is essentially pertaining to, for example, if a dog is uh, has not been exposed to a baby but mm -hmm. uh, comes uh, mm -hmm. comes in touch of a baby first time. How? Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. How do they train their mind? What is the default state of mind that they tr start from? And mm. how did they train it? Mm. Uh, as far as I know, uh, nobody has done research on dogs. Uh, 
Yoshi Sukita in Japan, uh, he did something on monkeys. Okay. Uh, so if I use his study and my understanding about the human infant study, uh, my prediction is that yes, uh, dogs will have some kind of image representation of the face. But how accurate this representation is? So for instance, can dog differentiate without experience? Can dog differentiate a face species from cats, from human, from dogs, uh, from dolphins, uh, from horse? Uh, I doubt they can do, do, do that. Yeah. So they may, they may have an inlet representation of a face. So this is, a, this is how face will look like. This is how important it's going to be. But I doubt they will differ, it can differentiate uh, which species they will come from. Pretty cool. I had a question. Um, first, great presentation, very interesting. Uh, I really, the fact that you used uh, language naive dogs for the experiment, that, that really helps with the sorting the signal to noise. I was curious about how good they were in terms of sorting that type of signal to noise when the facial cues were different from the mm -hmm. words. So good words, bad facial cue, vice versa or even um, flat facial cues and fat, uh, flat tones. Yeah. And do these mechanisms e exist in undomesticated wild canines? Uh, great question. Uh, we did one follow-up study. Uh, we didn't publish the results because of sample size. So it's a match and a mismatch. Uh, so the short answer is uh, uh, we don't know. We don't know how fine this discrimination ability is. And we don't know what kind of properties uh, dogs can use to extract uh, the emotional cues from vocalization. So do they use a pitch? Do they use a frequency, base frequency? Or do they use intensity? We don't know. Yeah. But uh, our initial finding from that study is that uh, don't make good differentiation about different uh, vocalization with this, within the same balance. So if you call dog uh, with, let's say, a happy face, happy vocalization, so come on, or with a surprised vocalization, come on, yeah. And they don't differentiate, it didn't differentiate in our pilot study. So same, same, same thing is for the negative balance. So if you call the dog in angry, tone or in a more a fearful tone, uh, they don't differentiate this. Uh, but they do differentiate between the positive and negative valence, and they differentiate the emotional vocalization from uh, the noise. So that, that was our uh, um, pilot study uh, at that time. I see. And then what about, um, do these mechanisms exist in undomesticated wild canines? Mm. If I have to guess, no. Uh, 
because we haven't done the same study. And so what we did is, is, a, is a, a similar study in the past. Uh, it's something called uh, looking bias. Okay. So when human look at a face, we always go to the left first. So we call the left gaze bias. So this preference is driven by our understanding of the patient information. So we found similar, we found similar thing in pet dogs, so which means the dogs and these pet dogs use the same strategy to understand a human face. So after that, we did the same study on domestic wolves and on a group of grey hounds. So domestic wolves, uh, they are raised by humans. Even genetically, they're more away from, from, from humans. And we found similar, similar preference, left gaze spice in domestic wolves. But we didn't find the same left gaze spice in grey hounds. So grey hounds, I'm sure you know, grey hounds and they are packed animals. They have minimum interaction with human. So from these findings, uh, I would predict yeah, the experience is very important. So if you test the same protocol in a wild canine, I doubt you will find uh, the differentiation for human emotion. I see. Thank you so much for your answers and your presentation. Okay. I had another question, and it relates to the, um, uh, for lack of a better term, the sensory loading of the dog experience. Um, I've, I've had a few dogs, and I've always been curious about whether I could distract them with images in a mirror or not. And I've failed miserably to get any kind of interest out of an image in a mirror in any of the dogs I've had. That's purely anecdotal. But in terms of trying to understand that, um, I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that um, you know the dog visual cortex and visual system uh, perhaps isn't as relied on as much as smell and auditory cues, and um, you know sound or smell wouldn't be coming through a mirror, and. Um, I'm wondering if um, this, these kinds of experiments in terms of, say, auditory cues and picking out the emotional content of voice inflections might be a cleaner signal or, or, or I don't know if cleaner signal is the right phrase, but um, mm. in terms of, uh, you know, the um, mm. using other types of sensory loading to you know, and, or whether they look at gait more. Uh, you, you showed evidence that they look more at the body than than the mm -hmm. eyes. Mm -hmm. Any comment yeah. on that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, yeah. Uh, I didn't mention, mention this. Uh, so all of our studies, not just me, and uh, people working in this area, uh, we have a fundamental flaw or basic assumption is that we assume uh, the visual and auditory cues will play a good, a high wage in dogs' sensory processing. So that's our assumption. Okay. So we use a human as a, as, 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 a, as, a, as a 
baseline or benchmark. So we assume like humans, uh, visual and auditory cues will play an important role in dogs' communication. So that's our assumption. So like you mentioned, actually, if you think about the dominance of the sensory communication, so perhaps uh, visual cues they don't play a big role in dogs' communication, especially in dog-dog communication. Okay. So in terms of our sensory sensitivity, our factory cues, of course, are yeah, the most sensitive. And dogs have much higher sensitivity to auditory cues compared with hum human. Yeah. So it is likely, yeah, it is not likely, uh, one communicate with, especially with their own species. They probably use other channels, olfactory and auditory channels, to come. Yeah. But the counter argument is, uh, and you have to consider and the human's role in this communication. So if you think about human-dog communication, because humans are vision animal, yeah. So we don't have much. Uh, we don't have very high sensitivity and to auditory inputs, and we some people do, but most people don't have very high sensitivity to all factory inputs. Yeah. Uh, so as a result, uh, so maybe from dog's perspective, yeah, they may have adapted a certain strategy. It only works for human dog communication. Yeah. But yeah, it is entirely possible that you you, you use a different sensory chain channel to communicate with each other. Yeah, I think that's really interesting to consider that the input versus output um, consideration here, that for them, a different input is important than for us, but they still overcome this hurdle by generating an output that makes sense to humans and adapt in that way. That's quite impressive, I think. Uh, but Dr. Mariam, you had the question and LT joined us on the stage. Welcome. Thank you, Katerina. Hello, everyone. Uh, hello, Dr. Guo. Uh, sorry, I've missed most of your presentation, but I will be watching the replays again. But, you know, it's really interesting line of questioning and I'm really enjoying the answers. So based on, you know, some of the points from some of the other speakers, um, I was wondering if um, in your future studies, you know, when you're comparing uh, different breeds of dogs, uh, how do you intend to, first of all, account for the variability within different breeds? Um, I'm thinking, uh, with regards to maybe how they communicate or how they relate to humans uh, and thanks to selective breeding, there's a lot of dog breeds that have been bred for different purposes but might have different skill sets over other breeds. For instance, you know, greyhounds or race dogs, um, mm. chihuahuas are more like lap mm. dogs, um, German shepherds are more of hunters, um, so on and so forth. So some might have maybe better hearing, uh, faster speed, uh, better scent, um, 
you know, be better sense of smell, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so in, in those, in that, you know, variation, how would you attribute certain characteristics to the general species, the general, you know, canine species? And would you be able to filter out what, you know, if, if there may be different communication or mm -hmm. values, let's say for different breeds of dogs? I hope that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is a area uh, we haven't uh, studied uh, systematically. So at the moment, uh, we just treat a dog as a, as a one single group. Uh, so all the studies we tend to recruit uh, if you like a, a representative uh, breed of dogs or common breeds in your society to test, to test, to test. As a result, we hope we can generalize our finding to a bigger population. So that's our current approach. Um, but like you mentioned, I do agree they must have a huge um, breed difference, and in terms of uh, probably for all the sensory. Processing ability, it is, it is. yeah. Uh, so I think yeah, that is uh, something we have to work on uh, soon later uh, to a clear picture of, of about and dog as a population. Um, but uh, at the same time, I think for the basic sensory communication, like understand understand uh, human emotional balance or even some basic emotion categories. For this kind of very basic uh, sensory communication, my guess is uh, it will be quantitative difference between dog breeds, not qualitative. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for your answer. Uh, LT, uh, did you have a question yes, for us? Yes, may I have a question? <laughs> may I ask a question? Uh, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, I totally enjoyed the presentation. My question is that I'm not sure if I take home the correct message. You said the dog uh, doesn't uh, recognize the emotions, meaning that if I'm like scolding her, like I have a dog, I had a dog before now this one the one in my picture is my current one so you when i want to get her back home it doesn't matter how angry i get it doesn't it's not effective so 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 it's that noise but then you said the emotion it, i do put emotions like i can say you come home you know like I, mm. I i put like angry like i really like i mean it this time she doesn't respond to that but you mentioned the noise, a noise of like what kind of noise we're talking about, the car noise, like the man's voice, you know, versus the women's, like a, a kid's voice. Can you expand on that a little bit? Thank uh, you. Uh, the, the noise uh, we use in our study is a brownie noise. So it's standard way to con con control uh, vocalization as a whole. We didn't differentiate between pitch, between intensity, 
be, be between uh, base fre frequency. Yeah, so it's Brownian law noise. So uh, our current findings uh, can't really uh, address your 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 question. So if I have to guess, uh, probably one possibility your dog has a freeze bridge. Yeah, so it's more likely. <laughs> Okay, okay, I got it. Thank you. Enjoy his home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she comes home. Another possibility. She wants to. Yeah. Yeah. That's another possibility. Is, 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 uh, you're angry, probably is not typical, a lot of representative. And to the angry organization, this, this dog has heard be, be, before. So maybe you're changing your pitch, changing your. Uh, uh, frequency or intensity, yeah. So maybe maybe uh, he can learn a new asso asso association. Okay, that's my guess. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to interject on behalf of Chihuahuas everywhere. <laughs> um, I grew up with a little Chihuahua, and she was fearless, right. and she ran mm -hmm. everywhere with me, and she would bark at large dogs and. Um, yeah, she was she was very spirited. I think it's all upbringing, more environmental. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame we're far away uh, from each other. Yeah. Uh, one of my PhD students, uh, she is working on the uh, emotion regulation strategy in dogs. So what she found is uh, uh, attachment style uh, between owners and the dogs have a huge impact on dog strategy to regulate their own emotions. So if we are close, close to each other, maybe I can ask her to test your dog. <laughs> Could you perhaps speak a little more about the two-way communication dogs and humans? Thank you. Sorry, uh, could you repeat your question? Sure. Uh, I lost your sound for four. Yeah. Sure. Um, so it sounds like you do want to study two-way communication between humans mm -hmm. and dogs. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. wondering if you could speak a little more on your, um, perhaps the types of right. studies. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, yes. So my group is working on the uh, two-way communication. Uh, how dog understand the human uh, from scientific background that's more uh, comparative cognition so how dog understand human and also how human understand dogs and so for from a human's perspective uh, we can do uh, many different experiments on humans and uh, because they are easy to recruit and also uh, we can ask them to do uh, many things and we, we, we can uh, torture them in eye tracking, FMI, EEG, uh, different equipment. Yeah. And so in terms of the detailed projects, at the moment, uh, we are concentrated on the emotional understanding. So how humans understand the dog emotion? Can you really understand different emotion categories? And if you can, uh, what kind of strategy you will use? So do we use the same brain or same neural circuits to process human emotion and the dog emotion? Or we use different strategy 
to process dog emotion only. So that's the kind of work uh, we are working on. So um, if I may, um, I guess we are almost at the, you know, we are going over an hour. So, um, but if I may add another comment regarding, um, you know, the, the brain activity patterns, that they are different. And since you said, and we just, you know, based on the reflections of the Q&A, um, so basically, the input for dogs must is most likely very different from the ones from humans because humans are more focused on the visual system and they have the frontal eye mm -hmm. position. And then the dogs generate then an output that is adapted for us. So it, then it makes really sense that their um, brain activity patterns are different looking at the brain regions that process them but could there be a commonality in uh, maybe not the brain regions but a commonality in when activity patterns are um are going on maybe the timing and then um mm. you know like is there maybe a difference but also a commonality that but that we didn't detect or how would we look at this adaptation towards the human is there a way to for example have dogs that haven't had too much exposure yet to humans and then see over time how their brain activity changes while interacting with humans or let's say with another with another um organism like of another species maybe they are used to humans but not used to cats yet and mm. see how over time maybe mm. the brain activity changes with exposure to another maybe mm. it's not just limited to humans maybe dogs in general are good at adapting towards other species mm. behavior mm. yes yes brilliant idea yeah uh my suspicion, yes. Uh, if we have suitable technology, uh, I suspect you will find similar things. Uh, it's something we call uh, perceptual layering uh, or block to differentiation process. So basically, the idea is uh, uh, in dogs' brain, they must have some kind of circles a template of circles, neural circles, to process some meanings of sensory inputs. So for instance, they must have some kind of template to process balance. Okay. So this balance could come from vocalization, could come from affection, could come from visual. Okay. It's just which sensory cues can activate these circles. So if we have a suitable uh, methodology. We have actually, it's just uh, how likely you can use them on dogs. Uh, so I would guess you will find this uh, similar, something similar to the perception layering we have found in monkeys. Yeah. 
So you can introduce a different, uh, different uh, sensory inputs with the same abstract meaning and, and through either perception learning uh, or, or just the increased amount of exposure. So you can refine the pattern of neural activity in that circles. Yeah, exactly. So the ideal experiment would be, mm. which would be maybe cruel. No, well, yeah. it wouldn't. Maybe just dogs behaving with each other. You would have a group where the dogs just get the exposure to dogs. You have mm. another group. A dog starts mm. getting at some yeah. point exposure to humans and then some other species, maybe mm. three different species. And then you get maybe you can mm. pinpoint towards the secretory that adapts towards other species. And I think the insight would be really interesting also for humans that suffer from um, adapting um, more precisely to new environment and also other humans. Uh, yeah. If we could um, learn from that, maybe that would be a yeah. really great uh, insight. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you, yeah. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, yeah, uh, sooner or later, you have to move beyond simple behavioral measurements. You have to understand the mechanism. The, the um, other thing what would be helpful from that insight is to train in the future AIs and robots that behave with humans and use that information how dogs approach this um, problem to train uh, artificial neural nets yeah. and robots that then um, mm. have an easier time adapting to us and our environment. I think that would be another way to use that knowledge and apply it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah, with that, if anyone has any questions, please go ahead. Uh, we've been going for almost an hour and a half. I wanted to check with you uh, how much time you have left before our questions. Um, and, uh, yep. For me, uh, probably uh, I can stay for another 10 minutes. Yeah. To have another appointment uh, at half past seven. Yeah. In my time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's getting late for you. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, I think there's many interesting questions. Uh, and definitely, I've learned a lot uh, from you guys. Yeah, in my mind, I'm already planning some 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 future experiments based on some of your questions. Oh my God, I want to hear updates. <laughs> Please, <laughs> people, it's so interesting your work. I I wish I could be there and see a deer fly on the wall. <laughs> A dog on the couch. Yeah, you're welcome to join us in the future. Oh, yeah, yeah that would be wonderful. I would love to. Um, yeah, anyone has any last question? Please go ahead, everyone. Uh, uh, somebody in the audience, let me bring you up. Oh, it didn't work. Sorry. I tried to bring Sabrina up, but it Where didn't did work. Me me too. Where did Sabrina go? I think her app crashed or something. When we were trying to bring her up, it, cra it crashed, probably. Anyone else in the meantime? Maybe Sabrina will, will try again. Okay, 
if not um i'll i'll let her know that she can message me and then maybe i can if it's something that i cannot answer i would forward the question to you so again thank you so much for this amazing presentation and your work is really so interesting and i love how you approach your experiments designs that you questioned um you know previous assumptions it's always wonderful um to see that and that it's working out and and uh yeah i please update us with, with yeah, your sure. ongoing experiments and come back anytime please yes thank you very much yeah uh, yeah feel free to contact me uh, you can find my email address uh, feel free feel free to contact me uh, if you have full, more questions or more suggestions for the future experiments yeah. Oh, I hope you have thank a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, go ahead, James. Oh, yeah, no, I would just say thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, uh, give, give, a, give the Special Science Society best wishes, Katharina. Jamie, you're close by. You can go and, and visit and help out. Ah, that's okay. Let it come your ranges. That's a good idea. <laughs> you can be the representative of Science Society. Science Society. Yes, I will be giving one of the t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to help out if you're looking oh, for Oh, yeah, Dr. Mario, you're there too. <laughs> well, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm not yeah, I'm, I can be on my way. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at handling dogs, so... We're sending a convention. We're really nice people, too. <laughs> Okay, so you have many volunteers. So whenever you need somebody, yeah. you know how to con to contact us. <laughs> okay. You have a staff now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some free labor. Well, it's fun, right? It's, it's better than watching TV, I guess. So, unfortunately, <laughs> you come here speak and you leave with a fan club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much, Doctor. Yeah, thank you. And um, thanks everyone for coming. And uh, please follow the club if you like um, uh, rooms like this. And uh, we'll have um, Dr. Guo back for sure. And we have tomorrow guest speaker who will talk about um, her uh, new design of machine learning using molecular orbital based machine learning. Um, so I think it will be really a really interesting room. And on Sunday, we'll have the weekly recap where we shortly try to stay around an hour and summarize what we learned here throughout the week on Science Society. Um, so if you missed rooms or if you would like to um, if you missed links of papers, we will share the link of the paper again and and just shortly summarize um, what the research was about that guest speakers presented here. So thank you everyone for coming and we'll have also a very exciting week ahead. Um, we will have uh, yeah every weekday a guest speaker next week again. So yeah, if you click on the Science Society Club, you should be able to see the schedule. And um, yeah, thank you so much, Kuhn. And I wish you all the best and um, see you back sometime soon, hopefully.
Okay, we'll close the room in three, two, Thanks, one. everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.